Welcome to East Texas News Roundup for the week ending July the 12th, 2019. East Texas News Roundup is a weekly review of the news in five southeast Texas counties covered by Polk County Publishing Company newspapers, including Tyler, Polk, Trinity, San Jacinto, and Houston counties, by the editors of those five newspapers. Polk County Publishing Company manager Kelly Borns kicks off this week's podcast. Well, hello, it's July in Polk County, and my name is Kelly Barnes, and I'm bringing you the news for the week of Sunday, July 7th and Thursday, July 11th. And there's a couple of top news stories I'm seeing here. Joel Lambright is in the news again. He's a Corrigan resident that has pled guilty to a bomb charge. And according to this, this was in federal court, possession of an unregistered destructive device, and a pre-sentence investigation is currently underway and court records show and a sentencing hearing will be scheduled once it's complete. So this is Joel Lambright Jr., age 45, of Corrigan, and he was arrested at his Corrigan home nearly two years ago after Corrigan police received information about narcotics at the home. So there's a lot involved here and he has long history of incarceration and other charges and just keeping you updated on that. A suspect in multiple robberies is going to be facing trial. This person is a suspect in the robbery of three banks and a hotel. Federal jurors will decide the fate of Demarcus Jamil Giles of Houston during a trial that is set for August 19th in the federal courthouse in Beaumont. He's been indicted for four counts of bank robbery, Hobbs Act robbery, and using a firearm in the commission of those crimes. One of those charges stem from the robbery of the Hampton Inn Motel on Loop 59 in Livingston on July 4th, 2018, a year ago. The county office annex, according to Greg Peak, our editor, is currently seeking bids for asbestos removal. And this is an interesting story by Brian Besh that's not sports related, but it's Livingston ISD related. Parents are given real-time information on bus locations. This is new GPS technology that hasn't been implemented in the Livingston Independent School District Transportation Department, and it gives parents access to view the bus location by using their smartphone. The GPS software has been installed on every school bus in the Livingston ISD fleet, and the data for every LISD student is entered into the system, and the students will be issued a scan card that contains their name and address data, and the card could be attached to a lanyard, a backpack, or a Chromebook case. As the students enter and exit the bus, they scan their card under the reader. And what a fantastic idea. There's more to read about this scan idea. If you're a parent or a grandparent of a student at Livingston ISD that rides the bus, you will want to know about this new technology. Super neat. The SPCA has been increasing their transports to other shelters. It's getting full and they have not had enough adoptions. So in the newspaper, there's a story about some animals heading north. A volunteer from Prairie Paul's Animal Shelter in Kansas holds Polly, a beagle, who was on the latest transport with other animals from the SPCA. 
SPCA of Polk County due to overcrowding at the local shelter. A number of dogs and puppies are being sent north to other shelters for adoption. So best of luck to these puppies that they find a home. Polly is cute. But if you want him now, you have to go to Kansas because some lucky person there is going to get to adopt Polly. Matt Williams, the outdoor writer, is talking a little bit about a neat story. It's called One for the Dogs, and it's a story about a man's best friend. And I'm going to let you just read that story. It's a special. I'm just looking at it here to see if there's something I can tell you. It's an actual special interest story about a dog and a man, and it looks like there's a turkey involved, and um, it's just a neat story. And it is in the Enterprise. You don't want to miss a copy of the Enterprise. Pretty much everything you can imagine, from garage sales to official records to obituaries to sports to the latest going on in town, the crime beat. There's a column always by Barbara White, one of my favorite writers, about 25 years ago today. And it's interesting. It looks like, don't forget, you can text 911 if you have an emergency. That's a special program brought to you by DETCOG. There's a reminder story in here that rear-facing safety seats are the best protection for children. And I actually just saw a story about that, and it was a picture of of a car in a car wreck, and it is one of the most mangled vehicles I had ever seen. And right in front of the picture of the mangled vehicle was two car seats that had been inside that mangled mess, and they were in perfect condition, and the children were safe. And so it was just a reminder, this is why you buckle your children in, even if they're kicking and screaming, even if they don't want to, it's that important. You will save their lives. Well, it looks like our rodeo is getting a rehab. New president looks to improve the arena and the PCYRA's reputation. Brian Besh wrote this story. Boy, he's been busy in the newsroom and there's going to be some changes. It looks like the youth rodeo is on its way July 17th through 20th. 7 p.m. nightly here in Polk County. So those of you who love rodeo and you're looking for something to do during these hot summer nights, don't miss out on this rodeo. Several advertisers in Polk County are supporting the rodeo and actually have brought to you a special rodeo pages reminding you of the dates of the rodeo, the times. It's the 59th annual rodeo and it looks like Livingston Physical Therapy, East Texas Telephone Cooperative, First State Bank, Peters Tractor equipment, the Polk County Enterprise, First National Bank, El Burrito Mexican Restaurant, the Red Barn Builder Supply, Sonic of Livingston, Dr. Ralph Yankee and Associates, More Auto Sales, Citizen State Bank, and Cochrane Funeral Home. They are all supporters of the Youth Rodeo, and they are encouraging you to go out and attend. There will be local events starting at 6 p.m., the rodeo at 7 p.m., and it is located at the Barney Wiggums Memorial Arena on Highway 146 in Livingston. The Lions Club has been busy and there is a donation that was given from CASA. There was a Go-Getters donation, which is the Special Olympics program for $250. And then Leroy the Lion. The Livingston's Lion Club received a visit from Leroy Lion at a recent meeting. Cade Simpson brought the Lion to the meeting so that the club members could have their photographs taken with him. Pictured above with the Lion are Simpson left and his uncle, Lion Scott Simpson. So, well, hello, Scott Simpson. Haven't seen you in a while. And he's pictured in our paper in the Sunday, July 7th issue. And there's more Lion news. There's used books for sale at the Polk County Enterprise. You can get a really inexpensive read. 
And your money goes to Relay for Life. There's a Vacation Bible School, Livingston Church of Christ, July 15th through 18th, nightly. That's in the Enterprise. They took out a special ad to invite the public to come. And there were some beautiful fireworks over the lake. And on Alaska, burglars hit 22 vehicles at local hotels. You've got to be kidding me. I didn't know about this. Thank you, Valerie Riddell, for telling us about this. Police are continuing to investigate a series of car burglaries that occurred at hotels located along the U.S. 59 bypass in the overnight hours Saturday night to Sunday morning. This was in the July 7th issue. Department says suspects smashed windows on 22 vehicles and took weapons and valuables from some of them. Among the missing items from the victim vehicles are laptop computer, handguns, etc. They're working to identify suspects and I'm sure there will be an update. If you have any information about the identity of the suspect or suspects, you are encouraged to call the Livingston Police Department at 936-327-3117. And I like this man so much, Colonel Howard Daniel Jr. He was named Individual Top Volunteer of the Frank M. Adams Award, and it was at the Texas Council of Community Centers Conference in Houston. So congratulations, Colonel Daniel. We like you a lot here at the Polk County Enterprise, and we're proud to hear that you've been recognized for your volunteerism. In Alaska, they're going to be talking about unsafe buildings on their agenda for city council. So if you're interested in that, be sure and check it out. And thank you all for listening. Well, hello, everyone. This is Jacob McAdams with the Sanderson News Times. I am the editor, and I'm going to be bringing you all the news from June 30th to July 6th. So first things first, we had a city council meeting for Cold Spring on July 1st, and there was a lot of discussion about setting up an interlocal agreement with the San Jacinto County Sheriff's Office. And they had precinct four JP Greg McGee there speaking before the council. And what's essentially going on is city of Cold Spring is having issues enforcing ordinances, according to Mayor Pat Eversole. And they've been told, according to her, by the sheriff's office that they can't get the ordinances enforced because the city isn't in an interlocal agreement with the sheriff's office. Now, according to Greg McGee, part of this has to do with the fact that a sheriff has resources that he has every right to allocate to other places if he so desires. It's how he wants to manage them. And, of course, he has to look over a county as opposed to a city. So it's not just Cold Spring under his scope. It's also Shepherd, Point Blank, Evergreen, all these other areas. And so they discussed this, and he also mentioned that if an interlocal agreement is established, it creates other problems as well. Because uh, if the interlocal agreement is established, there's going to be an issue with enforcing city ordinances because a justice of the peace does not have the authority to adhere city ordinances. Now, there wasn't anything approved at this time, but what the city of Cold Spring is planning on doing is setting up a municipal court before it moves forward with trying to establish a interlocal agreement with the sheriff's office. So we'll keep you all informed on this in the future. We should hear more in upcoming meetings. It should also be noted that Frank McMurray, who's one of the city councilmen, is appointed as the mayor pro tem for Cold Spring. That was the other major item on the list. Now, we also had a commissioner's court meeting last week, and it was a pretty small meeting, but there was a discussion in the beginning about DETCOG. DETCOG, of course, is the Deep East Texas Council of Governments. And County Judge Fritz Faulkner had discussed that that DETCOG is currently making progress on the broadband study. 
which is being done by ENCODE Consulting. And if you're not aware, the broadband study is regarding the entire area of DETCOG, which includes San Jacinto County, among others, such as Polk. And essentially, what they're trying to find out is what are the needs in the county as far as broadband internet connection. The county does not have that, and so the study extends to researching schools, the sheriff's offices in the different counties, the different government entities, and some other established bodies just to see how big the need is. It's a long-time project for the DETCOG area, and DETCOG is getting ready to prepare for the next phase of the broadband study. So they're trying to move forward, and they're looking for getting $600,000 together for a grant to do network design. And so the original plan they had was to get 150000 match from the Sabine River Authority. That didn't work. And so the new plan is for all the counties in the areas to contribute a portion of the funds to the project. The share of that from San Jacinto County is 17%. And that comes out to $25,500. We'll be keeping you all informed on this as well. This still is not finalized, but the broadband study is a big issue for the county, as well as the whole DETCOG area. So right now, DETCOG is essentially trying to make sure who's on board with contributing to that. We'd also like to point out that, of course, we had Independence Day last week. And I do wish a happy Independence Day to everyone who celebrated last week in the San Jacinto County area. We, of course, had a lot of items coming up as far as celebrations. And we did talk to Dale Everett, who is part of our historical commission. He had discussed with me some of the items that or some historical tidbits for the holiday itself. What he had told me is that if you look at the history of Independence Day, of course, it starts on July 4th of 1776. That is, of course, 243 years ago. And some interesting tidbits about this, John Adams himself had actually predicted that the event would be celebrated in future years to come. And now, of course, at the time, he was referring to July 2nd when they initially signed the Declaration of Independence. But, of course, it came back for revisions on July 4th. He, of course, what he's saying still rings true if you look at it on July 4th. Uh, He was simply off by a couple of days. And sure enough, he was correct. The following year, there was a celebration over in Philadelphia. There were ships out in the port that were decorated, and they fired a 13-gun salute in honor of the 13 colonies. And, of course, this creates some of the precursors for fireworks, along with imagery that you see in songs such as the Star Spangled Banner, where we have lines such as the rocket's red glare fireworks they've of course become a staple of the holiday ever since then and so much so that last year fireworks sales topped one billion dollars for independence day with more than 90 percent of them coming from china and so to this day we celebrate in such a manner that we just really recognize the importance of this holiday another interesting fact to note is that 50 years later after 1776 on 1826 independence day both john adams and thomas jefferson passed away They passed away on the exact same day, 50 years later. It's almost mythological when you look at it that way. So a little interesting fact there for you to take in. We also had a boat contest with the Cape Royale Boating Association. 
And basically, out over in Wolf Creek, the Cape Royale Marina had uh, some of the locals participating in a boat parade. And they uh, had everyone had a uh, Independence Day theme to it. Some people were dressing up like the theme of Don't Tread on Me or with Uncle Sam, whatnot. The boats were really interesting looking. And so they just had a lot of fun uh, doing all that. We're going to have the pictures online here in a bit, but definitely check them out. It just shows how much that people love to celebrate Independence Day. It's a busy time of the year. But that's all we got going on for this week, and we will see you all soon. This week in Trinity County, Apple Springs ISD was named to the National Educational Results Partnership Honor Roll for its high achievement and student success for the 2018-2019 school year. Speaking of student success, a quartet of Groveton High School students recently placed at the Beta Club National Convention in Oklahoma City. Those students were Meredith Ecord, Emily Ecord, Kate Steubing, and Ingrid Rojo. More students who had success were a pair of recent Trinity graduates, Mallory Stout and Corey Smith, who are former softball players that participated in the East Texas Sports Senior All-Star Softball Game last month in Lufkin. They were on the non-Angelina County All-Star Team, which featured players from other schools that are located in counties that border Angelina County. And they took on a team of Angelina County All-Stars. And the non-Angelina team won 3-1. to one. Another member of the non-Angelina County team was Coach Sean Stout, who is the head coach at Trinity High School. He was one of the coaches for the non-Angelina County team. And the Trinity Community Fair will celebrate its 70th anniversary. The theme for this year's fair is 70 years of raising champions, and the fair will take place Thursday, September 26th, through Saturday, September 28th. And last but not least, Groveton EMS heads Ronnie and David Robeson, who are also members of the Groveton Lions Club, spoke at a recent Trinity Lions Club meeting, and they gave tips on what to do in a medical emergency. Howdy, everybody. Chris Edwards here, coming at you from the... Tyler County Booster here in Woodville, Texas, bringing you the news and events from the eastern contingency of the Polk County Publishing family of newspapers. So hope everybody's had a good week so far, and I guess we're back with the roundup. I know we took last week off in lieu of 4th of July Independence Day holiday, so hope everybody had a good and safe Independence Day, but Man, let's talk about that a second. So having a holiday in the middle of the week, you know, kind of has a way of throwing folks off because I know Friday after Penance Day was Thursday this year and, and the next day it just seemed kind of dead around the booster office and everybody was still kind of in the, the holiday mindset. But be that as it may, these things happen. Holidays wind up in odd places and... I guess you you take your days off when you can. At the top of the page for this week's edition of The Booster, we had a stabbing at a popular restaurant here in Woodville last week. Last Wednesday, there was a stabbing that took place at Elijah's Cafe. What happened was a man who was training another one, the, the trainer was Jose Oscar Ascona, and he was training Richard Calvin Cryer. And allegedly what happened was um, Cryer was, according to the restaurant and to some of his his co-workers agitated about something from the moment he got inside to work. And then the guy who's training him, Mr. Ascona, was uh, showing him how to prepare food. And, and apparently uh, Mr. Cryer had only worked there a couple of days at that point. And allegedly Mr. Cryer stabbed 
or attacked uh, Mr. Oscona with a knife, a large kitchen knife that he was using in the showing him and training, and stabbed him in the abdomen once and, and cut his arm pretty good. But their injuries weren't life-threatening. He was treated at the hospital in Woodville, Tyler County Hospital, and released. And Cryer was in, the last that I had checked, was in Tyler County Jail, charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Also, in news of county governmental decisions and, and goings on, in commissioner's court on Monday morning, the commissioners approved a right-of-way tax abatement for the county. Now, this has been something that's been state law now for about 10 years. It's been a statutory tax exemption for any property owners who have property that's intersected or touches or goes across. I should, let me rephrase that, where a county-maintained road intersects or goes across property. David Luther, who is the chief appraiser of the Tyler County Appraisal District said that there's been a few people come to him about this matter and as well as the commissioners have had people bring it to their attention. So Luther drafted a, a policy pertaining to this as well as an application for any tax property owners or taxpayers here in Tyler County who have such property, they can get this exemption. When commissioner's court was, when this first came to their attention, they had tallied up the possible tax-exempt funds countywide that within consideration of all of the county roads that intersected property. And it's around $86,000 that across the whole county that taxpayers will be able to save if they all apply for this exemption. So if you have property that is intersected or that a county road touches on, then you can go and file for this exemption. You can pick up the packet at Mr. Luther's office or at the appraisal district office in Woodville and fill out and read it over and fill out the form. So now... Here's something that concerns, maybe not concerns us, but I think it's a good idea to kind of address this, is we are in hurricane season, and Tropical Storm Barry has been making its way through Louisiana and was expected to hit us Saturday. It was projected to be a Category 1 hurricane, and I think it's downgraded a bit, and I don't think the projection now shows to hit us in any way, shape, or form. But be that as it may, I thought it was a good idea to just put some tips out there about hurricane safety and a preparedness checklist. So if you go to the Boosters Facebook page, we have a list there which was provided by FEMA that has a step-by-step directions what to do when anticipating a hurricane and as well as a checklist of things to, to have. Just kind of it goes by the hour, what to do when expecting one, 36 hours, and 18 hours and so forth. So, But here's a few things that you want to take into consideration when you're expecting a hurricane or a heavy storm. Number one, you want to determine how best to protect yourself from high winds and flooding. Be sure to evacuate if you're told to do so and take refuge in a designated storm shelter or an interior room for high winds. And be sure to listen to any emergency information and alerts. And nowadays with everybody having cell phones, you can get those alerts delivered to your phone You know, you always have that information close by when you need it. I remember when I was a kid, it used to be weather radios, and I don't think many people had those anymore, but everybody's got a cell phone, so you want to listen for those alerts. And you also want to remember this maxim, which I thought this was TxDOT had come up with this, but apparently this is the federal government come up with this slogan, turn around, don't drown. So if you're out when a storm is brewing or really, you know, pounding the area you're in, you want to be able to get away with your life. So if you come upon 
water and you're not sure how deep it is. Well, it's just generally not a good idea to drive through water anyway, but do not walk, swim, or drive through floodwaters. Turn around, don't drown. And this is a checklist brought to you by FEMA of preparation considerations. Number one, know your area's risks of hurricanes. Number two, sign up for your community's warning system. The Emergency Alert System and National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Weather Radio also provide emergency alerts. Number three, if you are at risk for flash flooding, watch for warning signs such as heavy rain. Number four, practice going to a safe shelter for high winds such as a FEMA safe room or ICC 500 storm shelter. The next best protection is a small interior windowless room and a sturdy building on the lowest level that is not subject to flooding. Number five, based on your location and community plans, make your own plans for evacuation or sheltering and put them into place. Number six, become familiar with your evacuation zone, the evacuation route, and shelter locations. Number seven, gather needed supplies for at least three days. Keep in mind each person's specific needs, including medication, and that's a big one, and don't forget the needs of your pets. I can't emphasize that enough. Don't forget the needs of your pets. Number eight, keep important documents in a safe place or create a password-protected digital copies of them. And last, but certainly not least, you want to protect your property. Be sure to declutter your drains and gutters, install check valves and plumbing to prevent backups, and consider hurricane shutters for your house. Also, you want to be sure to review your insurance policy. That, in a nutshell, is a list of preparation considerations to make during hurricane season. And also, you can go to the Boosters Facebook page where we have a much more in-detail, thorough list of those things taken straight from the FEMA website. Also, one last thing to keep you abreast of if you haven't been reading the Booster or you know, on the website or whatever. This is a story from last week's paper, but I wanted to address this a bit because this was a, probably one of the is one of the biggest stories we've had on our Facebook in some time, just based by the engagement and the number of responses to it. But uh, there's a local physician, Dr. Carrie Evans, who has been put under indictment for multiple count of sexual abuse allegations, as well as abuse by exposure. And the story has been published to our website. It was also published in last week's print edition of the newspaper. And a lot of people know Dr. Evans. He's been a physician in the region for a long time, and he's worked at several hospitals. And recently, he was working at an urgent care clinic in Woodville as a medical director and since been replaced in that position since the indictments became public or were handed down. Now, Dr. Evans, he, he booked himself in a jail, and he was subsequently released on a $350,000 bond. And he's being represented by the Gertz firm in Beaumont. And the head attorney of that firm, Ryan Gertz, put a statement out to us saying that these allegations were stemming from a, a long and nasty divorce and they anticipate a, a speedy trial and clearing Dr. Evans's name. So we will be bringing you any updates with that story, whichever way it goes. But I'm going to get on my soapbox here for just a minute because I think this needs to be said. Now, the last several weeks, we've had several high profile community members who have been under investigation or indictment for something or another. And there's uh, has been a priest, a uh, law enforcement officer, and now this physician, Dr. Evans. And here's the thing. Let me put it this way. An indictment or 
an allegation it does not mean that the person is guilty. This is suspected behavior or alleged behavior that once it is settled in a court of law, uh, one way or another will be determined whether they are guilty or innocent. And the way these trials work, I mean, sometimes it takes a while for the wheels of justice to turn. But until then, you know, the, the general public and ourselves as well really know no more than the information we can glean from these things. And usually it's copies of indictments and, you know, whatever statements from law enforcement who have been investigating these cases whatever they can say, which sometimes isn't a whole lot. But here's where I'm going with this. In a way, we are you know, obligated to publish these things because these are community leaders, whatever they're doing, whether they're doctors or priests or lawyers or police officers or whatever. So the profile is high and the onus is upon us to publish this when these things happen. I mean, they are unfortunate, but Things like this happen everywhere. And, you know, it's like a lot of people just shocked and appalled that it's their favorite doctor or, you know, whatever. But the thing is, we're not making up the news. We are publishing these facts and giving the truth of what's happening. In a way, it's damage control because rumor mills are pretty fierce, especially in, in more rural areas. So we're obligated to publish the truth. And also in publishing this to our Facebook page, because it happened right after we had put out the print edition of the paper. And so it, it was a little too late to get in the print edition. So we broke it on Facebook. And it, it was appalling to see some of the things that people were saying about this man, uh, doc, with the Dr. Evans story in particular. There were a lot of people that were basically calling for him to be lynched publicly. And then there was also, on the other hand, a lot of people who were taking the newspaper to task for publishing this. Basically this whole, well, how could you say this about this? Well, you know, it's, it's a fact of the matter that the indictments were delivered and, and he is under indictment and grand juries don't hand down indictments willy-nilly. So we're not the ones investigating him or bringing the indictments. So anyway, that's just a little food for thought. First of all, don't pillory a public figure or anybody who's accused of a crime and hasn't had their due day in court yet. I mean, again, these are just allegations and the wheels of justice will turn and we will find out one way or the other how this goes. And number two, don't take the press to tasks for reporting these things. We are obligated to report the news, whether you see it as good or bad or whatever. In a way, like I say, it, part of it is damage control, but that's kind of indicative of the culture we're in, and especially with social media and, and the internet. I mean, it's a lot of people who will get angry at a person because of allegations made against them and call for terrible things to happen to them, but nine out of ten times they wouldn't say these kind of things in public about the person or to their face. So just remember to treat everybody kindly and with respect, because you never know really what's going on. The time and place rule applies, um, whether you're living vicariously online or if you're out and about in public. You know, treat others with respect and kindness. And remember that don't kill the messenger, as the old cliche goes. We're here to report these things, and we don't make them up or anything. We're just reporting them. So, uh, With all that being uh, delivered to you, thank you for listening to the East Texas News Roundup. My name is Chris Edwards, and I hope you all have a great rest of the week and catch you next time. <music>